Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. And according to the Byzantine liturgical calendar and that which is on also the Gregorian calendar, so-called new calendar, <laughs> we are in the second Sunday of Lent. Second Sunday of Lent. And on this Sunday, there's a couple of things that we focus on that are of special significance to our Lenten journey. And indeed, we are on a Lenten journey, and I hope yours is doing well. You have already entered the rigors of fasting, of extra prayer and repentance, and above all, a heart that is more and more open to charity. One of the significant aspects of this particular Sunday, the second Sunday of Lent, is it draws our attention to an element of the spiritual life that we are very much in need of today in our world today, in which Lent provides a great vehicle for, and that is the dimension of silence. Recently, I was visiting a monastery with the preteen group from my parish, those children that are just below the age of teenagers. And one of the monks at the monastery, and by the way, it's our great friends, the monks at Holy Resurrection Monastery in St. Nanzian's, Wisconsin. If you want to find out more about them, which I highly recommend, go to hrmonline.org, hrmonline.org, Holy Resurrection Monastery in St. Nanzian's, Wisconsin. One of the monks was speaking to the children, and he brought forward a very interesting point. It was about fasting, but it was about silence. He said that fasting is a form of silence. It's a silence, really, of the body, of the physicality of our being, when you think about it. Because what is silence? Silence is when we withhold, we abstain, we, we pull back from acting, from speaking, from doing something with our body. Silence is a way of saying no to our inclination to speak, to act. And so when we fast, we're actually creating a certain 
bodily, physical, or even gut level silence. It's a way of saying no and making room. See, silence is about making room for God and also for ourselves, our deeper selves, our inner self, our real self. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why I believe we tend to avoid silence in our culture. I've always found it remarkable that whenever I visit people, I go to their homes, maybe to anoint them if they're sick or to bless their home or whatever. It could be parishioners, it could be friends, it could be relatives. I'm amazed at how commonly in a home, when I'm there, or there could be other guests there, that the television is not turned off. The television in the home continues to blare away. And so much of it, of course, is just cacophony. All those commercials, which I, by the way, I'm so thankful for the mute button on the TV remote because I mute out the commercials. And it's amazing. It's a beautiful thing to have that silence because those commercials just blare at you. Well, what that creates then is this, what I'm going to use, the, I'm going to use the term din. It creates a perpetual din. Din is like a constant, useless, irritating noise. It does nothing for you. Din. And when we are in a home or in a place where there is constant din, like unfortunately in our own homes with the television going constantly, it outshouts that inner voice of ourselves, which is deep within us. And the monks of the church, especially the Eastern monks, and there's certain ones in particular, which we're going to talk about today in the second Sunday of Lent, they were very, very serious about the need for silence, which, as I mentioned, one form is by fasting. It's a silence of the body, but also the silence of the mind, the heart, the soul. In monasteries, there is a great deal of silence. They sometimes do meals in silence, or they may refrain from talking and they have someone reading from a holy book, a spiritual book or the scripture. They do that in monasteries both east and west, which is very interesting. It goes to show you how much silence is valued in monasticism, whether it's in the eastern lung of the church or the western lung of the church. So silence is very, very precious, very valuable. And we are addicted, I think we're addicted to din in our culture, because I think we want to outshout that inner voice within us. Because when we really listen to that voice deep within us, when we have silence of the heart, of our mind and soul, and of the body, we hear things that are very clear, which means we hear beautiful things about ourselves, honest things, which also means we hear things we don't like hearing, things about our sinfulness, things about which we should, in fact, and dare I say, it's not popular today, but I'll say it, to feel guilty about. Things we should move beyond. In other words, silence allows a vacuum in which we can be very honest about ourselves, both what's good about us and what needs improvement. And that can be frightening. That's why we're afraid to go to confession a lot. We don't like to see and admit what's wrong with us, what needs healing spiritually. But also that silence allows for the voice of God to well up in us. That voice of God is most of the time very wonderful, very beautiful. But it too can be indicting. You know, God likes to goad us on to become ever more holy. So silence is frightening. It can be frightening. 
It's a powerful thing. It's a beautiful thing, but it's also an indicting thing. And that's why I believe we take so much effort in, and we're so good at, drowning it out. Drowning out the inner voice inside of us and that voice of God, which only silence can reveal. The very well-known and popular, inspiring Catholic teacher, speaker, and author, Matthew Kelly, would always, in fact, that was probably his main theme, he would talk about entering the classroom of silence. He'd say, 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day in silence. It'll change your life, he says. And so, too, would the Eastern monastics say that as well. So, on that note of silence, on the second Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine calendar, one of the themes we have today is the theme of a great Eastern saint who came a little bit later, <laughs> came in the 14th century. That's considered later. <laughs> His name is Gregory Palamas. And Gregory Palamas was a part of those group of mystics, of those spiritual masters of the Eastern churches that spoke a lot about and taught a lot about and practiced this spirituality of silence. In fact, there was a name for it. It was called hesychism, the hesychists. They were monks, and basically hesychism, it's a Greek term which means silence or quiet or leisure. And again, it comes from the monastic tradition of the Eastern churches. Part of what this hesychist practice teaches also is something that's very characteristic of the Eastern spirituality. It's that mystical union or knowledge of God, which says we can come to know God, but never in his essence. We come to know him by what the Eastern churches would call God's energies. This probably would correspond, especially in the West, to the word grace, God's grace. I imagine it to be something like this. Imagine the sun. And the sun is so brilliant and so hot and so magnificent, we can't get near it. We can't even look at it for any length of time with the bare naked eye. Otherwise, we'll go blind, not because the sun is bad, because the sun is so great. It's too great for us to take in. But what we do take in is that which comes from the essence of the sun, that energy, that light from the sun. It's part of the sun, but it's not in the very center of its essence. It emanates out from the center of the sun, and we, by way of the energies of the sun, we experience the sun, but not in its essence. So the Eastern monastics believed, and especially these hesychists like Gregory Palamas, believed that we can experience God through what they called his uncreated energies. There's created and uncreated energies. It would be like his grace, God's grace, part of his nature that extends out beyond his essence and touches us and enters into us. And through silence, especially through our prayer, we open ourselves to receiving that energy. And that energy does something to us. The saints of the Byzantine church, like Gregory Palmas, would call this the light of Tabor. Remember that story? When Jesus Christ radiated, he transfigured on Mount Tabor amidst his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And they were awestruck. They, were, they fell flat on their face. And that's very graphically depicted in the icon of the transfiguration. They wanted to stay there. And Elijah and Moses spoke to Christ. They appeared from the other world and spoke to Christ in the mountain. Well, Christ shone with this radiance, his brilliance. And the hesychist 
monks like Gregory Palamas call this the light of Tabor. In the Eastern churches, mystics who were very holy, it was said of them that they would not, like in the Western church, have, for instance, the stigmatas or levitate, but rather they would shine with this light of Tabor, these energies of God because of their openness to God through prayer, through fasting, through ascetical disciplines, and through silence. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about silence as taught by the great monastic spiritual writers of the Eastern Church. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by writing a check to Light of the East and mail it to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Hello, I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I am inviting you to the third annual women's retreat where I will be the retreat master for the Genius of Womanhood at the Shrine of Our Lady of Consolation Retreat Center in Cary, Ohio. Friday through Sunday, March 6th through the 8th, the third annual women's retreat, the Genius of Womanhood. More details, contact Joan Washburn at 419-798-9107. The Genius of Womanhood at the Shrine of Our Lady of Consolation Retreat Center in Cary, Ohio. Friday through Sunday, March 6th through the 8th. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate team-based formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor, spelled T-A-B-O-R, life at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. I'd like to just take a second here to thank all of you who signed up for our women's retreat, which is coming up this coming weekend ahead of us. But also there's another experience in Ohio I'd like to draw your attention to for those of you maybe who can't make the women's retreat. And that experience is called Bringing America Back to Life. It's a convention. And the reason I'm drawing your attention to it is because one of the speakers there that I highly recommend is Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse from the Ruth Institute. She's a friend of mine and I highly recommend her. I saw that she was coming to Cleveland, especially those of you in the Cleveland area. I highly recommend that you take advantage of this whole convention, but also especially peek into Dr. Jennifer Morse's presentation there and tell her I sent you, tell her I said hello. It's called Bringing America Back to Life. And you can find out about it by going to bringingamericabacktolife.org. bringingamericabacktolife.org. That's Friday and Saturday, March 6th to 7th. And we are in the second Sunday of Lent, according to the Byzantine Lenten liturgical calendar. For those Byzantine churches that have begun Lent already, 
at least actually they're a whole week into it. Last Sunday was the first Sunday of Lent. Now this is the second Sunday, which brings our focus to silence and to light, to the uncreated energies as taught to us by great spiritual mystics of the Eastern Church like St. Gregory Palamas, who we focus on today in our prayers in the Eastern churches. And he was, as I mentioned, in the 14th century is when he lived, between the 1200s and the 1300s. So it was basically he died in the 14th century. And the monks who practice this form of Hesychus spirituality also practice a particular prayer, a prayer that is one of the hallmarks of the Eastern churches, a prayer that I highly recommend to you, a prayer that is said especially now during this time of the Lenten season, this time of repentance. It's called the Jesus Prayer. It comes from the words in Scripture, very simple. All profound things are simple. We simply say these words, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, the reason for this prayer is really the name of Jesus himself. Because the name of Jesus, we believe in the Eastern churches, has the power to chase away demons and to bring about calm and silence and peace in our heart and our soul. And the monks that developed this simple prayer, again, based on simple phrases from the Scripture, they recommended that this prayer actually become part of us, so much a part of us that it was done in such a way as to be synchronized with breathing. For example, you would breathe in and say, Lord Jesus Christ, breathe out, Son of God, breathe in, have mercy on me, breathe out, a sinner or something like that, and whatever rhythm is good for you. But the idea is that you breathe in and out according to the rhythm of that short phrase, so that your very breath becomes prayer. And the name of Jesus is not only on your lips, but on your very breath. And from there, these monastics, they taught that this prayer would actually move even beyond our lips and our breath, and actually move beyond all images or sensation, and become literally the prayer of our heart, as though our soul itself were praying this. There's a famous classic book of the spiritual life that explains this. It's called The Way of the Pilgrim. The whole book is based upon a man who's a pilgrim, and he's learning this Jesus prayer, and he explains his experience of it as he descends the depths of this prayer, and as that prayer descends to the depths of his own being. Highly recommend that if you want to learn more about the Eastern spirituality. The Way of the Pilgrim, a real classic. It's a must-read for anyone wanting to learn more about Eastern Christian spirituality. But it's based upon this Jesus prayer, developed by the Hesychist monks centuries ago in the Eastern churches. And saying this prayer is a wonderful way to ward off temptations, especially the temptations of the irascible part of us, our fallen passions, like anger or fear, or lust, you know, swearing, or bursting out, anxiety. It's an amazing prayer, amazing in its effectiveness to calm us, to bring us back to center, because the prayer draws us deep into our heart, into our soul, that a place where we really encounter God in that place of silence. And that place is also a place of darkness, but in a positive way. You see, in the Eastern churches, being mystical as they are, we often describe God and the things of the next life, the mysteries of God, 
in terms of negative words, negative not meaning bad, but rather negations. For example, in our prayers, we refer to God as invisible, incomprehensible, ineffable, unutterable, immeasurable. See how many negations those are? In other words, he can't be measured. He can't be fully described. He can't be fully understood. And actually, we come to know God more intimately by acknowledging what we don't know of what he is. Those we can't fully know. Yes, we can come to know God. And in fact, the Hesychist monks, the monks of this inner silence, like Gregory Palamas, who we celebrate today, they taught that the spiritual life, just as St. Gregory Nyssa did, a great 4th century Byzantine saint, they taught that the spiritual life is in fact an ongoing, ongoing, constant growth in holiness. That the process of perfection, in a sense, becomes perfection itself. We never really reach the end of it. And the reason is because God is infinite. So we've, we never really come to the point where we arrived. So that we believe that even in heaven, we're perpetually growing and learning and beholding ever more another part of the countenance of God. So there is this sense of an ongoingness. And because of that, because God is always beyond us, the Eastern saints would refer to this as a certain darkness. And in fact, St. Gregory Nisa, in his famous book, The Life of Moses, where he took Moses as an example, what Gregory Nisa was trying to do, really, he was trying to bring the Judeo-Christian spirituality, the Bible, the biblical spirituality, to a Greek-speaking Hellenistic culture of his time. So he, in a sense, wedded the two. He took what was a bit of a Platonic influence, not Plato itself. We're not talking about he was teaching pagan philosophy. He was taking that sense of the world beyond, of that which is more perfect. And he was taking that, and, and through the stories, the spirituality of the Bible, he was communicating this idea that we can come to know God, as Moses did, in a cloud or in a darkness. In other words, by an unknowing. We come to know by unknowing. I know it's very difficult for us, especially in the Western world, because our Western minds are very bipolar. We, we see things in terms of this or that. How can something be this and that at the same time? How can you know something by not knowing or unknowing? Well, that's precisely the trick. That's precisely the, the mystery. That's the genius of this spirituality handed down to us by these holy monks, the desert, these hesychists. They say that as we make room for silence, we go deep into ourselves, we go really into a place of darkness, not the evil darkness, but a darkness that they say no experience. Because what Greg and Issa did was he took the 33rd chapter of Genesis and he looked at Moses and also an earlier chapter, which, of course, you remember the story of the burning bush, and he said that Moses experienced God through light, you know, the burning bush, through a cloud, remember the meeting tent, where Moses would go to meet God and the cloud would fill the tent, and finally in a darkness. Remember when Moses went up in the mountain and he wanted to see God and God said, okay, I will pass by. You will see my beauty, but I have to cover your face because you can't totally see me, just like we can't see the sun, as I mentioned before. And yet, Moses had an incredible intimacy. In fact, it's called that in the Bible. Moses' intimacy with God in the mountain as the beauty of God passed by. So Moses saw God's beauty, but from behind, because he could not behold it yet face to face. 
That comes in the next life. So God shielded him, in a sense, put him in a certain darkness, but through that darkness, Moses came to know God intimately. This is all summed up in the word mysticism or the mystical, which is a favorite word of Eastern spirituality and certainly a place we try to enter into during this Lenten season for the rigors of fasting and prayer, our prostrations and our abstinence. This mystical, and again, it's a strange word for us in the Western world, does not mean something, oh, like a personal, almost crazy-sounding vision, some personal, fantastic vision of something that nobody else sees and it sounds kind of crazy. It's not just about something weird or extraordinary. The mystical actually means that which is the most real, that we come to know God Not totally in his essence, because we can't. It's it's a constant growing in knowing God. But we come to know him as we do grow to know him. We do so by an intimate experience of God. Something that goes beyond learning, goes beyond head knowledge, goes beyond just what can be taught or described in any form, whether by words or by pictures or whatever. It's just something we know deep down in our very soul. And we arrive at that mystical union with God by clearing away any obstacles and arriving at that inner silence. And that's why the Eastern monks were so rigorous in their fasting, in their asceticism, in their abstinence. They were making room for this intimacy with God. In the church, especially the Western church, St. Thomas Aquinas is, of course, a very, very significant saint. He wrote voluminous, voluminous things about the church and its teaching, understanding our faith. And when you read all that and see how much he wrote, and at that time didn't have computers and so on, (laughs) you can't help but come to the conclusion that he, although he was so gifted with rational thought and explaining things, had to have gotten this knowledge, not through his own human brain, but by some mystical union with God. It's the only way he could explain the contribution that Thomas Aquinas made to the church, east and west. So this is what we mean in the East by that solitude, that hesychus, that silence, that openness to mystical union with God. It's not something unreal, it's something that is the most real. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.